Amen. And you may be seated. And as you're seated, take your Bibles, turn to John chapter 4. And then we're going to pick up in verse 27, which is where we left off last week. Verse 27 of John chapter 4. And we started looking at this great account, this great story or conversation we got to see between Jesus and the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well. And there's just a great conversation that's going on as Jesus is seeking to draw her into this living water that he has for her. And and so, you know, she's hurting, she's in need. and, And we saw that as we went through that account last week in those first 26 verses of chapter four. And Jesus is looking just to draw her into fullness of life in him. And so now in verse 27, where we pick it up, we get to see kind of how the story unfolds and kind of the fruit of that conversation that Jesus had with this woman. So here's what we're going to be looking at this morning. We're just going to break this up into a couple parts here. First of all, we're going to see the faith to witness, verses 27 to 42, a faith to witness, and then secondly, a faith to believe, having faith to really believe in the rest of the chapter. So that's kind of what we're going to be looking at. Look at verse 27, and here's what we read. And at this point, his disciples came, and they marveled that he talked with a woman, yet no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? So just again, let me bring up to speed. Jesus is at the well with this woman, one-on-one conversation. He's bringing her to this reality, this realization that she needs something more than just this water that she's drawing from the well. Well, she starts getting stirred in her heart. She moves in, and, and as she's getting ready to leave, the disciples are coming back because they had gone into the town to get some food, right? Jesus is there to be a witness, conduct business for the Lord. The disciples are kind of worried about their hunger, right? So they're getting food. Now, as they're coming back, they're, they're no doubt just seeing Jesus finishing up this conversation with this woman and seeing this woman heading back to the city. And so what they do, they come in and they're just, they marvel, it says. They're shocked that they see Jesus speaking with a woman because like we saw last week, this is a very unusual thing for a man to speak with a woman publicly. And especially for a man like Jesus who is being viewed as a rabbi, you know, people are looking at him as this, this teacher. He's, he's a kind of high profile guy. And especially, this is strange for him now to be talking to a woman. That just didn't happen in this day. All right, women were very much looked down upon in that day, but Jesus comes alongside now and he kind of lifts her up and he begins to minister to her. And the disciples are just shocked. They marvel at this. But nobody wants to say anything, right? They, they come back, they're like, I'm not saying anything. This is Jesus. I mean, he probably knows what he's doing. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna question that. But you see, it's interesting, and this has kind of been on my heart lately because... It's interesting how we can oftentimes come into a situation and be quick to sort of pronounce our kind of judgment or our assessment on things without having the full picture or knowing the heart behind why something's being done. And I know for myself, I can be quick to make a judgment call and to question what's happening without really seeing why this is happening. What's the heart behind it? And if the disciples had just kind of said, Jesus, what, what's going on? What's happening here? They would have begun to see that Jesus is opening up the gospel to this woman and looking to bring her into this great and glorious truth of life in him, which would have been cause for celebration. But instead, they're kind of troubled, confounded. They're, they're marveling. They're shocked at what's going on. And I'm sure they're 
bringing up some judgment on this. This is odd. This is strange. Jesus, I don't know if you think or, or if you really know what you're doing here. And we'll see that as we go along in this text. But how important it is for us to be slow and kind of pronouncing judgment, making assessment of things until we really know the whole story and know the heart behind it. So notice this here, verse 28. The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city and said to the men, come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. Now, I like that first of all, just the, the imagery that we see here, because it says that as the woman goes, finishing up this conversation, she leaves the water pot behind. This really becomes a picture uh, of the inferior things that we can oftentimes rely on to try to find satisfaction and joy in life. She brings this water pot to the well. She's looking for water. Jesus says, hey, can you give me a drink? Say, what are you, how are you talking to me, a Jewish man speaking to a Samaritan woman? And she says, listen, if you knew the water that I had for you, you'd be asking me for a drink, right? And so now she's beginning to be stirred in her heart in her soul that there's something greater available to her now there's something better than just this water from the well so what is she doing she's leaving her she doesn't care about this any longer i don't need this water pot any longer she leaves it behind and how important that is for us to be sure that as we come in contact with jesus that we realize he's sufficient he's all we need and we need to leave the inferior things of the world the things that we're trying to use to fill up joy or satisfaction or peace or hope whatever it might be the things that we're utilizing to think this is what's going to really aid me in finding or having life we need to put those things aside and say i don't need those things any longer when i have jesus i have all that i need and this woman pictures that so wonderfully for us here it's interesting the the passage in jeremiah chapter 2 verse 13 i love this verse and, and Jeremiah the prophet speaks and he says, my people have committed, or, or the Lord speaking to Jeremiah, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. You see, there are people that are trying to utilize other things to try to find happiness and satisfaction. But guess what? They all become, they just become nothing more than broken cisterns that are not going to hold what you truly need. Because what you truly need is found only in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Are we holding on to the broken cisterns of this world? Are we holding on to things that are not going to do what we hope they're going to do? Are we ready to lay those things aside and say, Jesus, I just need to cling to you. I need to hold on to you and you alone because it's in you that I find what I truly am seeking, desiring, and needing. It's only found in Jesus. So this woman leaves the water pot behind. I love that. And so she moves into the city. Now, it's interesting because in that first part of this chapter that we talked about last week, we saw some great evangelism methods utilized by Jesus, right? He's speaking to the woman. He comes with a very kind of nat- on a very natural level. Hey, can you give me a drink? She's out of well. That's the place you're going to want some water, right? But he, he starts kind of on a very natural level just to start conversation with this woman and it slowly moves to more spiritual things and then eventually leads right into the very crux of the matter that what you are experiencing right now and and in experiencing in life is not satisfying remember he says go bring your husband here what does the woman say i don't i don't have a husband jesus you're right you've had five husbands and the one you're now living with is not even your husband my goodness it's like this woman's been seeking all this 
these relationships, maybe trying to find love or acceptance or forgiveness. She's seeking all these things outside of a relationship with God. Jesus says, this is the crux of the matter. You need Jesus because you're not going to find what you need outside of a relationship with Jesus, apart from a relationship with Jesus. So he takes her from very natural things to spiritual things to really the crux of the matter. But now we see in this woman, I think some interesting evangelism methods or techniques that we can employ as we're talking about here, just having this faith to be a witness as we kind of center on this idea of our evangelism, our role of being a witness in this world. What does this woman do? She goes in the city and she simply says, come see a man. That's all she says to them. Come see a man. A man who told me all things that I ever did. A man that's got insight. Come and see a man. That's all she knows at this point, right? She doesn't have her theology all down. She doesn't have scriptures that are just being quoted out from memory. I mean, all she's got right now is, come and check out this guy that I've just seen. That just completely rocked my world here. That just opened my mind to realities that I didn't, I, I didn't realize here that spoken such truth into my life. Come see a man. It's really simple, isn't it? See, we can oftentimes get very bogged down thinking, what am I going to say? How am I going to present this? How do I bring this scripture in and, and work all these things together? And what are the art? All we need to do is come to people and say, come and see this man, Jesus, who's just changed my life, who's impacted me in a great way. Come see a man. It'd be a great way to grow a single ladies ministry, wouldn't it? Just right there. Come see a man. But that's, I digress, but that's all this woman has right now. Come see a man. Come see this one that has just opened my eyes, that's spoken into my life. That's so important that we don't have to get all bogged down with, you know, different things and and, and wondering, how do we present this? Just point people to Jesus. That's all this woman is doing. And, and, And maybe you're on the journey today where you're, seeking and we just invite you today just look to jesus we just want to point you to this person that has changed our lives that has brought salvation hope brought love forgiveness into our lives and we just want to point you to jesus that's all we want you to see we have nothing else to show apart from him and then she follows it up with something that was sure to spark some interest now and arouse curiosity when she says at the end of verse 20 um end of verse 29 could this be the Christ? She takes it one step further now. Come see a man, but now she says, could this be? Because I'm sure a lot of them are saying, well, I don't want to go see a man. I, there's lots of men around here. Could this be the Christ? Suddenly like, oh, could that be the Christ? Now I think she knows. Because she's already said, you know, at the end of what we looked at last week, she says, you know, when the Messiah comes, then he's going to reveal all these things to me. Jesus says what? I am he. I'm the one that you're looking for, the one that your scriptures are, are, are holding out for. I'm, I'm that one. I think she already knows in the back of her mind, this has got to be the Christ. Who else is going to know all that I've ever done? But she poses it like, hey, guys, come see this guy. Could, could he be the one that we're waiting for? Could he be the Christ, the one that we're expecting? And she begins to spark that curiosity. And they begin to respond. I think it's so awesome that as we seek to be a witness, 
that we don't have to be the ones that are coaxing people into a decision, into a surrender to Jesus, into saying a prayer. We don't have to coax people into that. All we need to do is just lead them to Jesus and let him take care of the rest. And he will do just that. Well, look at verse 31. Here we see the other side kind of now of the scenario here. Because in verse 31, we read, In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. So all this is going on in the village. The woman has gone back to the village. She's beginning to kind of gather some people. And now back at the well, the, the disciples come back. They'd seen this, this conversation end with this woman. They're confused. And here's all they can think about. Rabbi, eat. See, what they're probably thinking is like, this guy's been hanging out in the, in the heat of the day. He's been on a long journey. He's thirsty. He's hungry. He's probably got low blood sugar level. Like the guy's not firing at all cylinders. Somebody get him a granola bar. This guy needs some help. That's what they're thinking, right? They're just going, this isn't good. He's, he's getting delirious. He's speaking to a woman now. This isn't right. It's like those Snickers commercials, you know, right? You know, you got like Joe Pesci needing a... Snickers, he turns into something. Okay, you get the deal, right? So that's kind of, I think, what the disciples are thinking about. Rabbi, eat. But you see, what's happening here is that they're only able to think on a physical plane. They're worried about their own physical need, whereas Jesus is operating on a whole different level right now. Because he's concerned about the spiritual need of a woman, so much so that everything else is becoming secondary. While they're being driven, the disciples being driven by their fleshly appetites, Jesus is looking to fulfill a different need here. At this historic moment when a Samaritan city was being introduced to the Lord of glory, their thoughts could rise no higher than food for their bodies. But notice what Jesus says, and I love this here. Verse 32, but he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. See, the thing that is driving Jesus was to get out and do the Father's work. And not just do the Father's work, but to finish the Father's work. That's another thing altogether. Like I've said, I've said many times, I've got a lot of projects that I've started. Not so many projects that I've finished. I can start things. Finishing them is another thing altogether. But Jesus, he comes, comes to this world. And he says, my purpose, my drive, is all about carrying out the Father's work. And not just doing the Father's work, but finishing the Father's work. So much so that he was taken to the cross where he would say on the cross, it is finished. I've done the work that I've come to do, which is redeeming man into a right relationship with our Heavenly Father to bring the whole world, men, women, children, whoever would believe in him, to bring them into a right relationship with God. And in order to do that, he needed to get out there and spread this good news, this gospel, begin to stir people's hearts to be open to receive what he was doing. That's what was moving Jesus. That's what was motivating Jesus in ministry. And he says, man, I've got, I've got food to eat that you don't know. And the disciples are confused. Like, who brought him food? And why didn't he save us any? Like, what's going on? Where did he put this? Jesus is like, man, I've got something that is nourishing me far greater than physical food. And it was carrying out the work of the Father. Think about that. 
See, we've all been called to get out and to be a witness of the Lord. We've all been given our lives and given our lives to be lived with purpose. And here's the great thing. There is great blessing when we begin to live our lives for what we were created to do. And that is to live in relationship with God, but also to make God known. So Paul writes about in Ephesians that we're not saved by our works, but we've been created for good works. We've been created to live these lives for the glory of God and to make him known. And you see, there's something wonderful that happens when we begin to say, I want my life to count. I want my life to be lived with purpose and to be lived for the glory of God. I want my life to serve the purposes of the Father. To where that is nourishing me and strengthening me and moving me along in this life where I'm taking every opportunity I have just to simply get the good news out to people. That is something that nourishes you, that strengthens you. It's a great adventure when we live life that way. Life is not meant to be just lived for ourselves, looking at how we can just fulfill our needs. Life is to be lived for a higher purpose. That's God's purpose. And his glory. And how we can be doing that. You know. You don't need to go away on a mission trip. To live that way. And it's wonderful when you go away on a mission trip. We got a team that's heading out next Monday. Going down to Mexico. We'll pray for them next Sunday. But it's great when we get to take people on mission. Because people just kind of turn into. You know. Little Billy Grahams. They're just like. Oh man. I'm just going to go for it. Because they get taken out of their. Kind of comfort zone they get thrown in another place and it's just like all right man we're just going for it people get out there i remember the first time i went down to mexico years ago and i mean i just i just want to give it my all i'm just going for it and and you're just out there you're you're trying to tell people about jesus and and you're trying to tell them in a language you don't even know it's like here we're afraid to do it in our own language and yet you're going over there and you're just like ready to do it in a language you don't even know you just want to tell people about jesus that's what you're all about and I remember the first time I was there, I had some kids come up to me and they're on the street and I, I just want to share with them about the love of Jesus. I didn't know what to say and our translators were around. And so I just said, hey, Cristo Diablo. I thought I was saying Jesus loves you. I apparently said Jesus is the devil. They ran away crying. They just took off, right? But you're just out there giving it your all. So I don't know how this is going to go, but man, I'm just going to tell people about Jesus or make people cry and run away. Either way, Either way, it's fun. But, but you see, what happens is that you, you oftentimes come back and all of a sudden, like, everything you were doing there, you stop doing because, like, well, this is my home turf now and, you know, it's just different. And I, I, can't, I can't be putting myself out there like that. People are going to think I'm weird, I'm strange. It's okay if they think I'm weird and strange in Mexico because I probably won't see them again. But back here, it's like a whole different story. And we stop living that way. But we're called... To live missionally. And that's what I love about Jesus is that everything he's doing, he's living on mission. His whole life was about that. That's why we read in in the beginning of John 4 that he needed to go to Samaria. Now Jews normally didn't travel through Samaria when they're going to Galilee. They'd go a long way around because they thought the Samaritans were just, you know, corrupt people. They didn't want to be defiled by them. So they go a different way. But it tells us that Jesus needed to go to Samaria. Why? Because of one woman. One woman that he would meet at the well and be able, be able to pass on this glorious truth 
of life that he wanted to share with her. One person. He lived on mission. He went out of his way to go and minister to people to the point where this is, this is feeding me. This is like my food. This is nourishing to me. And there's something wonderful when we begin to live life on mission, live missionally. Listen, we don't, we don't go out and witness or do witnessing. We're to be a witness in everything we do. We don't just go out and go on a mission trip. We're to live missionally. It's something that we are to be, not just something we do. That's what God has called us to, to be a light in this world for him. Look at what Jesus says next here in verse 35. He says this, Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, because they're already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. I love that. See, we can easily get into that kind of trap and that mindset and think, ah, you know what, I'll go do it another day. I'll go, I'll go share the gospel with that neighbor of mine tomorrow. And, and do you know what? Here's the reality. We're not guaranteed of tomorrow. We don't know when we'll have another opportunity another day. Why put off for tomorrow what you can be doing today? And the greatest thing that we can be doing, just imagine if you thought this was your last day to live on this earth. In fact, I had a word that three of you will not see tomorrow. No, I'm just kidding. That would be awful, wouldn't it? That would be just a real downer on the message. Imagine just a word from the Lord. Three. No, that's not happening. I'm, I'm just messing with you. But it scared some of you, didn't it? You're like, wait, was that me? No. But if you thought, if you thought this was your last day on earth, just think about how you would live life differently. Think about what you do. And there would be nothing greater than you could do with your life than to invest into eternity. How do you invest in eternity? Well, you share the gospel. You tell people about Jesus. You seek to see others be brought into the kingdom, into life in Jesus. There's no greater investment. There's no greater way you can live your life than, than, than investing into eternity. And this is what Jesus is showing us here. If you had your, your last day on earth today, you would live differently. And it's so easy for us, and I'm guilty of it too, it's so easy for us to, to make excuses, to put up the, oh man, well, you know, it's just been a tough week, it's been tough, I just don't think I'm in the right frame of mind to do that. I just, I'm just going to pray about that a little bit. And as we put it off, there's just opportunities all around us that, that get neglected. Opportunities that we have to share the gospel with people, to be a witness to people, whether it's your, your neighbor, your, your work partner at, at work, in, in school, your own family, whatever it might be. Jesus is saying, why put it off? Look, the fields are ripe for the harvest. And it's at this time, perhaps, that as that woman was stirring the hearts of all the people in the town, that they're making their way back to the well where Jesus is, and he 
points his disciples, he directs his disciples to look. And possibly all these men are coming up from the village wearing their white robes, which would have kept them cool in the heat of the day, maybe a white turban on their head. And perhaps this is what Jesus is referencing. Look, the fields are ripe for ours. They're white for the harvest. They're ready. Here they come. As though he's telling the disciples, are you going to be more concerned about food? Or are you going to see the need that's right before you? Do we see the need that's right before us? Or are we so caught up in our own lives and in our own needs? Or are we praying, Lord, I want to be active in the harvest right now. I love what we read in Ecclesiastes 11, verse 4 to 6. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know what is the way of the wind or how the bones grow in the womb of, who, of her who is with child, so you do not know the works of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed and in the evening do not withhold your hand for you do not know what shall prosper either this or that or whether both alike will be good. See, when we're solely looking at the conditions around us, we'll always find reasons to say, oh, it's just not the best conditions right now. Nah, I'll wait. Conditions will never feel good enough for us. But here's the great thing. We don't have to worry about right conditions. It's always the right condition to share the gospel and to share the love of Jesus with another person. It's always the right time to get out there and just point people to Jesus. We don't have to worry about the conditions being right because when we do that, then we're not going to be active. And, and, And Jesus simply says as much. He says, do you not say there's still four months and then comes the harvest? I'm telling you, man, look at what's right in front of you right now. It's harvest time. And, and here's the great thing about all of this is that we don't have to worry, like I said, about doing all the right things or, or, or finding success. Sometimes we get discouraged because we're like, well, I shared the gospel with somebody and they didn't respond. I thought they were just going to have a Holy Ghost moment and just be like weeping and crying and repenting of sin and on the ground kneeling. I'd be right there with my hands upon them. And it didn't happen that way. I must not be doing it right. And, and we can feel sometimes like, I just don't know how to do it. It's just not working the way I think it should. And so I'm like, you're not called to be the one that delivers them into the kingdom. You're simply called to be the one that presents the truth to them and sows the seed, scatters the seed. Just like in Ecclesiastes says here about scattering the seed. And in the New Testament, Jesus often likens that to, again, spreading the gospel, the word of God. Scattering seed. That's all you have to do. Scatter the seed, leave the rest to God. He's the one that brings in the harvest. He's the one that brings people into salvation. We're just called to scatter the seed. Some of you might be those that are scattering the seed, cultivating the dirt, so to speak. Stirring it up a little bit. And somebody else down the road comes along. And they water that. Maybe somebody comes along down the road and gets to see the harvest come in. But it's because of the work that you started. Maybe you get to be the one that gets to piggyback off the work that someone else has been doing for years. And we just add that one last little drop of water and suddenly fruit comes. And we get to see that come in. That's a great exciting part about witnessing is we just never know where people are at and what God's been already doing in their lives. Sometimes it's just sowing the seed, just tilling the soil. Other times it might be 
reaping the harvest. But there can be joy just knowing that you can walk away going, I've done my part. And God does the rest. Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 3, 5 to 9. Who then is Paul and who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one. I planted Apollos water, but God gave the increase. So that neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Nor he who plants and he who waters are one. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. Each one receives his reward for his own labor. The person that gets to see the the harvest come in can't boast in that as though they had something more to do with it. Their reward is going to be the same, I believe, as those that were starting the process. And just cultivating the soil and planting the seed. Each get rewarded. Nobody can boast because it's all the work of the Lord. God gives the increase, you see. So we understand everyone has an important part to play. And we don't always have to do the same thing. God's calling you to simply be faithful. To be a witness. And we need to pray for the Lord to raise us up. To be people that are going out in the harvest. He said in Matthew 9, 37 to 38. Then he said, he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And I love, like I said, that Jesus oftentimes just went and ministered very personally to the one. John's gospel records a few of those interactions he didn't need the big crowds he wasn't going well no this is going to really you know undermine my time and not be very effective i need the crowds because then i can reach more jesus cared for the one and he saw great value in just ministering to the one and notice here the fruit that came from some of you might be thinking what difference can i make is it really going to be that tragic if i don't do anything but understand just one person that you Spread the gospel to that might come to know Jesus. Just that one person, you don't know the difference they can make. Look at what we read next here, verse 39. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Understand this now. The whole town is coming to faith in Jesus because of the testimony of this one woman. Great fruit is coming from it. It's interesting how the disciples returned from the town with food without anybody with them. But this woman goes into her town and draws this village out to see Jesus. You know, it's easy to get very familiar in our relationship with the Lord. And get very complacent to where we stop having that urgency to pass him on to others. The disciples, I think, possibly were just kind of going, ah, we've been with Jesus, it's great. We're just traveling around and it's fine. I don't need to bring anybody with us. We're, we're good. It's almost like they kind of lost that awe of Jesus. This woman, she's just had her world turned upside down by Jesus. And she's in awe of this man that told her everything about her. 
And she's going and communicating that to the people around her. I pray that we don't lose that awe of who Jesus is in our lives. Daily, and I encourage you, daily, be coming before the Lord, opening up his word, saying, Jesus, just reveal yourself to me. Speak to me. Just fill my heart with your goodness and your grace. Let me not become complacent in my walk with you, but let me be daily stirred with just a newness of appreciation of you and in awe of you. So when you're going out living your life, you just can't help but to just explode upon others with just the goodness of who God is and what he's done in your life. Don't lose that awe of who Jesus is. Keep growing in just the goodness and the grace of God. Now, there's a couple points that we see in our text here. Just in those verses alone, verse 39 to 42, a couple points of people coming to faith. First of all, it's through the testimony of believers. See, they started to have their, their heart stirred in the town because of this one woman's testimony. Matthew 5, 14 and 16 says, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Notice what Jesus says, not, Hey guys, one day you'll be the light of the world. Or, I'm going to make you light. No, he says, You are. You are right now. You as believers in Christ are the light of the world. Are you shining bright for Jesus? Because that's one way that people are going to come to faith is through the testimony of believers. That's how it was with these people. But then second part of that here, not only through the testimony of believers, but it's also through a personal experience with Jesus. Because they come in now, they're drawn by the testimony, their their curiosity is around, and they come in, they meet with Jesus, and now they see everything she said is true. You're the real deal. They've had a personal experience now with Jesus. You see, people can't piggyback on the faith of others. And there's a lot of people trying to do that, hoping that that's going to be enough. Where they think, well, my, my family, I mean, my parents were good, godly people. Oh, yeah, they, they went to church all the time. And I went to church with them up until this age. But, yeah, I would say I'm a Christian. But only because of the faith of their parents. There's some that are piggybacking off of the faith of others. But every person needs to have a genuine encounter with Jesus where they repent of their sin. They put their trust in Jesus themselves. Personal experience with Jesus. That's what these people now are receiving where they're saying it's not just your testimony, but we've come to know and see that he is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. I love that. So here we've seen the faith to witness. How important that is. Living your life missionally with purpose being a witness not something you do but something that you are that's how we're to be living don't pray lord give me an opportunity just take the next opportunity you've got it's never the wrong time to pass on the love of jesus so you see the faith to witness now we see just in the last part of this chapter the faith to believe now how are we doing Okay, woo, all right, a couple minutes, we'll wrap this up here. Yeah, right, you're all saying that, I know you are, I know, it's okay, I'm saying it too. Verse 46, so Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine, and there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. 
Interesting here now. Oh, I skipped a couple verses, didn't I? Oh my goodness. Okay. Let's go back here. Now we just made... Oh man, okay. Verse 43. Now after the two days, he departed from there and went to Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet had no honor in his own country. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they also had gone to the feast. So here he comes. He's, he's moving out from Samaria, going up to Galilee. That's where he'd kind of made his headquarters of ministry. It's also where Jesus grew up because he grew up in Nazareth. Nazareth was in Galilee. But John mentions now that he's kind of without honor here. He's not, he's not well respected in a sense. And, and all it is is really that people have become very familiar with Jesus. They've seen him grow up as a, as a child. They know his family. They know where he's come from. They're like, he can't be anything special. We've seen him grow up. Say so the saying is true, familiarity breeds contempt. And so there are a lot of people that were just kind of not receiving Jesus as the Messiah. He was without honor, in a sense here. That's what we're, we're reading there. But nevertheless, he goes up to Galilee. But then we do read that there were those that received him, having seen all the things that he did in Jerusalem at the feast. Now that's going back to the feast of uh, of Passover when Jesus came to Jerusalem. We read about that earlier in John's gospel. And there um, in chapter 2, at the end of chapter 2, in fact, just flip over there real quickly. The end of chapter 2, verse 23, it says this. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone would testify man, for he knew what was in man. So they saw a lot of the signs that he did. All right, He was in Jerusalem during the Passover. A lot of those people in Galilee had come down to celebrate the feast and they'd begun to see the things that Jesus was doing. So now he comes up to Galilee and they're ready to receive him, but... Very possibly, they're only receiving him as this miracle worker, this man of great signs, not as the Messiah, not as the one that they are ready to surrender their lives to and receive life in him, but more so as, what can we get out of him? He's a guy that does all the signs. Let's, let's welcome him in. Let's see how he's going to benefit us, maybe materially or, or physically. And so it's perhaps a very shallow reception right now. Like we read in John 2 there, that Jesus knew the heart of men. But nevertheless, he goes up. Why? Because even though he may not have much honor among the people or be well, well respected or seen, there's still a need there. People need to hear the truth. And he's willing to go into a place like that simply to share the gospel once more. And as he's there, this nobleman comes to him. As we had already read those verses, a nobleman who comes whose son was very sick at the point of death. And he comes to Jesus with hopes that Jesus can come back with him and heal his son. Now, this nobleman is a royal official. He's most likely a Jew. He's employed by Herod, uh, most likely here. So he's a guy kind of, a, a, again, of a, of a very, you know, high position, in a sense, well-respected guy. But he's in need. And he's got nowhere else to turn. So he turns to Jesus now. Now, notice what Jesus says to him in verse 48. Jesus said, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. Again, he kind of knew the heart of men, like I said. And he knew that a lot of people were receiving him simply because of the signs. And he's going, it, it, you guys are just constantly looking for signs and it's only through that that you're going to believe. It's like that way today, isn't it? Where a lot of people are quick to say, you know what? Show me, then I'll believe. Let me see a sign. God, if you're really there, show me a sign. Then I'll believe. 
that's the way that people are often waiting for God to show themselves. I mean, yes, God can show them a sign, a big old, you know, lightning bolt right on their head, and boom, is that sign good enough for you there? But you see, it goes the opposite way with Jesus. The world says, show me and I'll believe. Jesus says, believe and you will see. It's always taking that step of faith first. Because Jesus wants genuine faith in people. Not faith because of what I can get out of something. Not faith for, oh, you just show me that. Okay, that's great. If I now follow you, then I'll keep seeing these things. Jesus wants us to come in faith first. Just to simply receive him. And so this nobleman said to him in verse 49, Sir, come down before my child dies. I need you. But Jesus says in verse 50, Go your way. Your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and he went his way. It's amazing. I love that. How would you have responded if Jesus simply said, Go your way. Your son lives. So I'm sure this man was wrestling with that. He's probably thinking, no, Jesus, no, I need you to come with me. You don't understand. He's, he's like literally physically about to die and I need you to be there. I need you to speak life. I need you to, to lay hands on him and heal him. I need you to do your thing. Don't just tell me to go my way, he'll live. No, you don't understand. He's really sick. But Jesus has caused his man to exercise his faith now. Are you going to trust me? Are you going to trust me in what I say? When all Jesus says is go, are you willing to move forward when all you've got from Jesus is the word go? We don't like that oftentimes. We want everything. We want to see how everything's going to piece together. We don't want to move in faith. But this man, he begins to go. Here we see faith in action now. He steps out willing to believe simply just the word of the Lord. He's ready to act on it. It's oftentimes what Jesus does in our lives. He just simply gives us that word. Maybe it's reading through the word and you hear something and he just wants you to act on it. I love what we sang today in that song. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus just to take him at his word. There's great blessing in that. As we respond by faith in just that simple word of the Lord. There's oftentimes a deeper and stronger faith that begins to grow as a result of just trusting the Lord. Well, let's see how this unfolds here. Verse 51. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, your son lives. Then he inquired of them the hour when he got better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew it was at the same hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives. And he himself believed and his whole household. Now notice that. This is so good. He asked, when, when did this happen? And this man realized it was at the very same hour that Jesus said, your son lives. In other words, this man recognized now. And understood fully that there was life speaking power in those words that were spoken by Jesus. That at the time that Jesus said that, it had an effectual work in his son a distance away. Jesus didn't need to be there. He didn't need to do something physically. He just needed to speak that word. 
And this man acting in faith began to see this all unfold. And he's met by these people now. And now his strength, what's happening, or his faith, I mean, his faith is being strengthened. He moved down in faith, trusting the Lord, but now he sees how true this really was. And now he believes in a greater way and his whole household with him. What a blessing came from this man responding by faith. Faith to believe. Well, the chapter ends. This is uh, the second sign Jesus did when he'd come out of Judea into Galilee. Now, it's not so much that this is the second sign or miracle that Jesus performed because he'd done others, as we read at the end of John 2, that when he was in Jerusalem for the Passover, he did many other signs. But this is the second sign that John records, and it's the second sign that he records that took place in Galilee. It's interesting, the first sign that happened took place at a wedding. John 2, wedding at Cana. Where there's great joy and rejoicing. The second sign takes place with this nobleman over a period of grief, seeing his son dying at the point of death. One, a great cause of joy. The second, a time of grief. But what it shows us is that regardless of what we're going through, Jesus is all that we need. He's everything for us in those times. He's the one that we need to look to. And he's the one that comes and he he adds to the joy. And he brings us through that time of grief in faith to see that he's at work and he's in control. So awesome. Well, that's chapter 4 down. Let's just look at a couple application points here for us as we wrap this up. First of all, as we've seen here today, do you have a passion for the lost? I want to ask that. That's important. Is there an urgency to share the gospel? We need to pray for the Lord to raise up workers for the harvest, to be men and women that will go out and be that witness in this world. And we need to pray, not Lord, send some people. We need to pray, Lord, send me. Let me be one of those that will go out faithfully being a witness. Faith to witness. Have a passion. Have a hunger. Pray for the Lord to just increase that passion for the lost. And know, man, there's something nourishing that happens as we get out there and get active and begin to exercise this faith here. Secondly, do you have faith that moves you to action? Do you wait for the signs to be there? Because we're to be those that trust God's word alone and see the blessing that unfolds from that. May we do just that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Lord, for our time together in your word and for revealing these truths to us. And, and, and Lord, for the challenge that goes out here today. Lord, to be those that will get out and, and just be a witness, Lord. Let us see the blessing. We can so often get scared about it. What, what are people going to say? What are people going to do? Lord, let us not worry about those things. Let us see that we just have to just... Scatter the seed. Cultivate some soil. Maybe we'll see fruit come in. Maybe we won't. But that'll come down the road. Help us just to be faithful with what you called us to do. And give us a passion for the lost. And Lord, may we be those that will move forward in, in faith. And, and faith that takes action. Lord, help us to be those that take in your word. But live out your word now. Just like this nobleman did. Let's put it into action, God, and see the blessing that comes from that. So strengthen us now, Lord, for your work. Use us, Lord, just to see your kingdom expand and see people come to know you. And Lord, I pray for those that might be here today 
that don't know you, that aren't in a right relationship with you, that don't know what that is all about, I pray that you just reveal yourself to them. Help them to see, Lord, you love them, but you die on a cross to forgive them of their sin, that they can be forgiven and saved and enjoy life in you today. So call them to you, Jesus, and give us a greater awe of who you are and all you've done for us, Lord, that moves us on from here. So we ask this now in your awesome name, Jesus. Amen.